A horizon is a beautiful picture from our creator. It's also symbolic of hopes, dreams, and a future. But to see a horizon, we must lift our eyes and look up, out, and beyond ourselves. This past two years of COVID has had a devastating effect on individuals, families, churches, and our country. As believers at Grace Point, we must refocus our attention. We must recast our vision and lift our eyes to see the horizon that God has presented us. In scripture, it says in Psalms, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Jesus said in Luke, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So what is our recast vision for the influence of our church for the next five years? I believe God is calling us to reach and disciple 2,000 people within the next five years. As we look forward with anticipation of Christ's return, we must continue working while we're waiting, working to advance His kingdom. And that requires us at Grace Point Church to lift up our eyes and look up out and beyond ourselves to the horizon that God has before us. I am excited for what God has on the horizon for Grace Point Church. Well, hello, Grace Point. Uh, how about this section over here? Good morning. Good morning. Okay, just checking. Thank you for being in, in the house or online. Uh, if you don't have a cop, a booklet, a horizon booklet, um, feel free to grab one up throughout the doors um, on the way out. And if you're online, you can go to our website and find the horizon uh, link and you, you have the whole, whole book uh, right there for you. But on, on page 12, there's some important dates that are coming up in this, this horizon initiative. The next one is next, the, the, the first important date is next Sunday evening. We have an advance commitment night beginning at 6.30. Now, I had no idea when we scheduled that, that that late afternoon my team would be playing for the opportunity for the Super Bowl, but I will be here at 6.30. I'll be here at 6.30. This is actually way more important. And I just think about this whole initiative campaign. If you're, if you're visiting with us, this is something unique and, and special, um, these five, five weeks you know, I, I see what's around us. I, I see the economy. I, I see even in Kitsap County how many um, people from our church uh, have been hit by the latest, you know, sickness and, and catching this and that. But uh, you know what? I, I keep going back and say, God, you're calling us to do this and to, to lay this out to our church. And he keeps reminding me that he, he challenged the nation of Israel to cross the Jordan River during flood season. So, I mean, God wants to get... God deserves all the credit, and I want to give him all the credit. So please be going through this, looking through this, mainly praying about this. And if you are ready to have um, make your commitment, the financial part of this, um, that's next Sunday. It's really going to be a prayer worship service in addition to um, advanced commitment. Now, raise your hand if you're a parent. Raise your hand if you're a parent. Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay? <clears throat> Even if your kids are out of the house, parenting is terminal. Um, we, we will always be a, be a parent right, until heaven comes. And every parent is a teacher. I'm not talking about homeschooling. I'm talking about every parent is a teacher. It's either a good teacher or a bad teacher, but we are a teacher. We teach things to our kids, and even as grandparents now, uh, we teach things to our grandkids uh, all the time. We teach about God. 
We teach him if, he, if, if he's real, if he's worthy of worship, if he's worthy to, uh, to trust in him, or we can, parents can teach kids like, eh, it doesn't really matter. I, mean, I don't know if something's up there or not. But we teach things to our kids. We teach, uh, we teach character traits, whether you have them or you don't, you know. And, and for our, our family, Kenny and I, when, when we were having our kids at home, the four main focuses on character was, can I trust you? Do you tell the truth, right? You will respect your mama, amen, moms? You will respect, respect was huge in our home, even with our siblings, and then work ethic, work ethic. And we will either as parents teach those things, I mean, literally teach them and enforce them, or we just kind of just let them do nothing and they, they will have poor character as a result. Same thing with boundaries. Either there's consequences to discipline or it's just do whatever you want and, and then have fun making good friends with the warden. All right, so those are, those are things. We also teach them passions, our passions. I didn't sit my daughters down and say, let me, let me teach you that you need to have a passion for the NFL, especially the 49ers. Uh, two of my daughters, you know, um, love Jesus and love the Niners. Uh, my youngest is a cowboy fan like her mom. So pray for them. They're in the wilderness, and uh, they, they, they need salvation. But we teach all the time, and, and there's a number of things that we don't teach because we don't have to teach. Like, parents, did you ever sit down to your child and say, let me teach you that ice cream is good, tastes good? Uh-uh. I remember Ashley, we were at a, uh, a vacation when she was about this tall. We were in Sisters, Oregon. There's a great ice cream place there. She had her first ice cream. It was vanilla. She put it up to her mouth, and she would not pull it away. And we're like, eh, and she's like, mm. and her eyes went all big, and, she's like, and it was just dripping down her. We didn't have to teach her that that tasted good. And parents, we don't have to teach our children to be selfish. We never have to say, okay, honey, you need to be selfish. Think only of yourself. Repeat after me. That's mine. Do we ever have to teach that? No, it comes naturally. And that's the thing about us human beings that it comes, selfishness comes incredibly natural to us, uh, to focus on ourselves, to please ourselves, to comfort ourselves, make sure that we arrange the situation or the relationship, you know, to that, that we are the one getting what we want. And then when we don't get what we want, we react, we react. Now I've said this phrase, here in our church so, so many times. And last uh, Thursday through Saturday, I was in, in Arizona, and I was speaking at my, my brother's men's gatherings, about 100 men there. And I said something in the context of my message that I, I didn't think much of it because I say it all the time here, is that the opposite of love is not hate. It's selfishness. So I just said that, moved on. And my brother this week said, man, I've had four men. These are, these are men from addictions, prison. Um, I mean, some have been beaten up in life. And he goes, I had four men, this, 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 this separate guys come up to me and go, man, the, of all the things your brother said, when he said that the opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness, that rocked my world. And one guy goes, I was depressed the rest of Saturday. And he goes, why? He goes, because I'm really selfish. Really selfish. I've also said, too, that the leading cause of death in a rela any relationship is selfishness. You want to ruin a relationship? Be selfish. Be it all, make it all about you. 
And I'm going to add to that today that the leading cause of death in churches is selfishness. I want what I want. I want it my way. Don't, I want it comfortable. I like how we did it 20 years ago. I think we should still do it that way again. And, and when there's any change, uh, uh, the leading cause of death of healthy youth groups is selfishness. And, and so um, one of the cha- challenges as a pastor is making sure that we are not an inward-focused only church. That's why in this horizon is the subtitle is we got to look up. We got to look out. We got to look beyond ourselves. And one of my main responsibilities as a pastor, not only to teach God's word, but to make sure that we are not an inward focused church becoming a church just for churched people. And there is, that is a challenge. That's a fight because it's, it's a gravitational pull of we end up focusing on ourselves, focus on ourselves. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to John chapter 1. If you're new to Bible study, Gospels, these are the, talk about the, the, the life and times and sayings and, and quotes and what, about who Jesus is and what he did. And John, um, we're going to start there today. Now, several of the 12 disciples were, were known for things, right? They, they, they had a claim to fame. Peter is known for walking on the water. He's the only one that got out of the boat. Uh, James and John were brothers, and Jesus called them sons of thunder. All right, parents with boys were like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. They were at a village. They rejected Jesus, wanted nothing to do with what he was saying. And as they're walking outside the village, James and John go, I think we should bring, call fire down from heaven. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus, Jesus thinking, I'm not sure that's a very good evangelistic strategy. You're now called the sons of thunder. Matthew <laughs> kind of never got over his past. He was always like the former tax collector, the former tax collector. Judas, he's known for what? Betraying Jesus. Thomas is known for doubting, doubting Thomas. We're going to go up to heaven. Thomas, oh, didn't have faith, huh? <laughs> he's like, stop it, stop it. And then there's Andrew, Peter's brother, is known for, well, we'll find that out in John chapter 1. Let's look at a little bit about Andrew. Verse 35 says, the next day, John, that's John the baptizer, was there again with two of his disciples, his followers. And when he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, like they are literally following him. And he asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing, the first thing, saying this for emphasis, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That's called the Christ. We found him. I know who he is. And he brought him to Jesus. Turn over to Matthew uh, six, Matthew chapter six. 
Jesus finished doing a bunch of cool things in verse, I mean, chapter 5. He said, verse 1, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. When Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up, and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, uh, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, well, if you carry the three, it would take about more than half of a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Jesus, that's a lot of money. We don't have that money. You know, another, another gospel, they were encouraged, Jesus, can you just, can you just send the crowd away? You know, let, let, let them go get food. Jesus says, well, well, what do you have? You do it. You, you feed them. Verse 8, another of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Turn over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival they came, these Greeks, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip took him to Jesus. Is that what it says? No. <laughs> no. Philip went to tell who? Andrew. Hey, Andrew, these guys want to see Jesus. <laughs> Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. And this is one of the times that Jesus, with the crowd there, said that he was going to be arrested and he was going to die and rise again. Now, in the New Testament, Peter is mentioned 200 times by name, 96 times in the four Gospels. No one other than Jesus was mentioned this many times. Jesus was mentioned more. There's only three passages that describe Andrew and what he did, and we just read them. Here's, here's, what's, here's what's Andrew's claim of fame. He brought people to meet Jesus, then letting Jesus do the rest. The first thing he did when he met Jesus, I got to go tell Peter. I got to tell my, my older brother. Peter, we found the Messiah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, I got I to take you to meet Jesus. When Jesus, he was, already, he was already planning on doing a miracle, just seeing who's willing to let him. It was Andrew who brought, brought a little boy. When it was like, I don't know how to feed those people. But Jesus, here's a little boy. He has a couple of fish sticks and bread sticks. But I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what, what you can do with that. See, Jesus can do anything he wants. When, when, when Andrew brought Peter, Jesus saved Peter and changed the world. And now he, Andrew brings this little boy, and God took his fish sticks and bread sticks and did a miracle and fed over 5,000. And then these Greek people, hey, I want to meet Jesus, I want to meet Jesus. They go to Philip, we want to meet Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew. Hey, he's got, he didn't take him to Jesus. He, he knew Andrew's the guy who brings people to Jesus. 
And what Andrew did, he brought people to Jesus, letting Jesus do the rest. That's a great strategy. In fact, it's the central point for today, kind of the heart of this whole Horizon initiative is this. Let's invite people to church to meet Jesus. Then letting Jesus do the rest. Letting Jesus do the rest. It's been said, a lot of surveys said this, estimated 75% of people who go to church for the first time, someone invited them. Someone from work, someone that they met, someone that they had a relationship with, someone invited them, 75% who come to church for the first time had someone who invited them. But here's the tension. The tension is how we view this thing called church. How this thing, how do we, what do we do about this whole thing called church? There's two perspectives, there's two, two views, two approaches when it comes to church. The first one is an inward view. It's this, is that church gatherings are open for only church people. Now, churches that are inward focused, they don't put this on their website. They don't mount it on walls and say, by the way, we're only about just us. They believe in their head. They believe the Great Commission. They believe people should come. They're not opposed to people coming, but that, they don't have them as perspective. Their only focus, their sole focus is on believers only. Believers only. What happens is that church becomes a Christian club. When I was a youth pastor here, when God called me here in 1991, um, I, I was told, hey, we've got a great youth group, and they all love each other. I was like, cool. And, and so there's about 35, if they all showed up at the same time. And I began taking them to uh, Taco Bell down here in Wheaton, or I, I would buy them some Gatorade and a group of girls or group of guys, and I wanted to find out about them. And one of the things I asked them was, how do you think about the youth group? And what I heard all the time was, I, I can't stand anybody in the youth group. Everybody irritates me. All right, how often do you invite your friends from Olympic or Central Kitsap or Bremerton or North or whatever? The answer, every one of them was never. Never. Well, God began to move and change. And uh, nine years later, right before God called us back to California, there was about 90 students who came who their parents came to our church and about 90 parent, uh, students who their parents don't go to church and those kids most of them never went to church before and uh, most of them got saved and baptized you know at our church went to Fullerton it was the same thing in a mega church and then God called us back here in 2005 and one of the things I did in, in uh, early in 2005 and I did it every two or three years for a while afterwards was to take a survey. I wanted to know where their church really was on a number of things. And one of the questions that were super important to me was on the survey is how often do you invite your friends to our church? 96% of the surveys said never, rarely. And that began a prayer campaign for me as God. We have to, we have to make sure that we're not a church club on the hillside. And have an inward focus. Here's what happens when churches go inward. Here's what happens when youth group is all about the kids that are coming here. Apathy rises and so do petty complaints. But in all my experience as youth pastor and even here, 
as we begin to look up out and beyond ourselves and say, wait a second, I'm working with people that need Jesus. I got, I'm living next to my neighbors who need Jesus. I, I got people on the boat that God, you know, put me with, you know, not only claustrophobia, but I can't get away from them when we're out to, out, out to sea. They need Jesus. And as I've seen youth groups in our church look up out and beyond ourselves, apathy decreases and so do petty criticisms. And you start seeing other people and what they need. Now, do I still want you to learn and grow and get closer to Jesus? Absolutely. But having an inward view will, will kill churches and youth groups. Here's a, a, another perspective. I think it's the more biblical one is an outward view. Is that church gatherings are open to anyone. Open to anyone. No matter their past. No matter where they are in the faith journey, no faith or a great faith, that anyone is welcome. But we have to have a mindset and a heartbeat for them um, or it won't happen. And we'll have a gravitational pull to become an inward-focused ministry. Now, to to explain this, um, why I believe it's biblical, I need to give a word and a history lesson. All right? Now, the word for church, originally in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, there's a word called ekklesia. Anybody ever heard that word before, ekklesia? Ekklesia? Um, it, it simply means gather, gathering. And it's, all, it's gathering. You call people, call them out to gather for a specific purpose. And what's happened over the years is this word ekklesia has been spiritualized by Christians saying that we are the called out ones. Well, theologically, there's some truth there, but it means sanctified. Sanctified means set apart. And we are called out, you know, to be, to be uh, different. But this word is a normal Greek word. It's not a religious word. I mean, you could have a military ecclesia, like we're going to gather, we're going to call people together, discuss the military. We can have a political ecclesia. And when Jesus says, I'm going to start my ecclesia, my gathering because me, I will be the cornerstone, you know, the rock in which the, this gathering is going to be built on. My gathering will, will go on forever. Even the gates of hell can't stop it. But this is a normal, average Greek word. And when the, when the Bible was then translated from Greek to Latin, the Vulgate, the word was basilica. Anybody remember that or heard that word before? Basilica. That means a public meeting place in, in Latin. When the Bible was translated into German, the word was kirche, which simply means a house, a house. You ever heard of, this is the house of God, this is the house of the Lord. It comes from the German word kirche. Now, in English, we have the word church. Very, it's really, it's coming from this kirche, church, kirche, church. And we say, well, that's the place where we go to worship. Now, here's the problem with this. What started out as a movement became a location. What started as a movement of, I'm going to have these gatherings where Jesus is at the heart of it, became a location instead of a movement. So what do you do on Sundays? I go to church. Come, check the box, go home. That's most Christians. That's not what it was designed for. Now let me give you a little more history. There's a man in 1522 by the name of William Tyndale who God put on his heart to translate the German Bible into English. 
And when the government authorities in the Roman Catholic Church heard that William Tyndale was translating the Bible into English, they put a arrest warrant out for William Tyndale. They were, they were appalled that he would want English-speaking people to read the Bible in their own language. Four years later, the Tyndale Bible began to be smuggled into England. Ten years after that, they found a hiding William Tyndale. They arrested him and burned him at the stake for the audacity, and they called it heresy, to translate the, the word of God into English. And when they gathered up all these illegal Bibles to burn them, they were shocked at what was missing in the New Testament. You know what was missing? The word church. Tyndale said that, that's, that, is not, that is not really good, close, and accurate to the original ecclesia of gathering. And he, instead of writing church in English, he wrote congregation. To the congregation at Ephesus. To the congregation at Philippi means you're going to congregate, you're going to gather together, and the purpose of your gathering is all about Jesus. So what happened is like, well, this church is just a place that we go to, and and it it helps kind of solidify that, no, 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 the, the church is all about us. Because when you look at the definition of the church, which I'll talk about in a second, it's easy for us to then drift into that it's just about our it's just about our gathering. But a church gathering, what we call is a church service. We are in a church gathering now. There's lots of people that come, and I, I praise God for it. Most of the people that are coming to a church service or church gathering are followers of Jesus. All right, I'm, I'm here to worship God, I'm here to learn, I'm going to be challenged in my faith, you know, and, and all that goes with it in a church service. But you've got, got to also understand that it, almost every single Sunday, we have seekers sitting here, and I love that. That God is using things in their life. They just went through a loss. They just went through a funeral. And, and God is drawing them to himself, and they're like, I had this weird thought, I haven't thought about that in decades. I should go to a church service, and they, they come. I've I had about six times over the 16 years, I talked to somebody, hey, when's the, when's the, uh, when did you start coming to Grace Point? And they said, well, today's my first day. I'm like, did, how, did you, how did you know? He was the weirdest thing. I'm driving down the highway, and I just, I turned in. I wasn't even thinking about it. And I walked in, and well, I don't know how I got here. But God was drawing them. And then there's also skeptics. They're like, my wife believes this stuff. I think it's a bunch of junk. And, I, and I'm glad you're here. And then there's the have-tos, mainly children and teenagers. Like, I have to be here because my parents come. I have to be here. And my prayer is that they'll meet Jesus on their own so that when they get old enough, they're like, I want to come. Not, I have to come. I, I think this is the, an outward-focused church, understanding that there's multiple audiences not a church-only Christian club. Now, but the church, capital C, should have put a small c here, the church, the global church, the universal church, that means all the followers of Jesus who have trusted in Jesus. They have been redeemed. Redeemed means to be bought 
back to someone has to pay a price, you know, kind of a ransom. And Jesus redeemed us. Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross, and then he rose again. The church, and that you're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We talked about that in Revelation. If you're part of the church, also referred to as the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. But if we have become an inward-focused church and we're only going to focus on this, we're going to miss an opportunity, especially in our county, to see this, these groups meet, know, and follow Jesus. Because I tell you, if we just have a gathering and it's just about us, if that's the case, the church, the gathering of Jesus would have never made it out of the first century. They understood this. Paul understood this. And I'll explain it. Now, when Paul would write a letter, he, was, he, was, he grew up religious and he knew and memorized. And then he met Jesus and everything changed. So now he's writing these letters, epistles, you know, mainly they're letters. And the church at Corinth was very much like the Western American church. They were all messed up. And they were all fighting. And one of the things they were fighting over was the spiritual gifts that, that the Holy Spirit gives to believers as soon as they trust in Jesus. And Paul says, no, no, you've got to understand, chapter 12, that, that the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to different ones as he determines. We don't all get the same gifts. Some of you are very thankful that you don't have the gift of communicating on public. You're like, oh, no, dude, no, no, no. All right? But different gifts. And the church at Corinth was arguing over the gift of speaking in tongues. If you're not... not not aware of that is like God supernaturally would help people speak in Spanish to share Jesus and they've never learned Spanish before. It was a supernatural gift of God. I've heard of missionaries that they go into the jungle and they, a new village and they start talking to them, telling them about Jesus. They come back to their hut and, and their spouse was like, I didn't know you knew the language. Like, what are you talking about? I was just talking to them. I was using my language. No, you were using their language. How did you... That was God, all right? So the church at Corinth was fighting like, well, I have this gift and you don't. Obviously, Jesus loves me more. You know, I've spoken in tongues. You know, it's amazing. You should have it too. So Paul, in chapter 14, started helping them grow up. He said this. I love this. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Drop the mic. Can you all shut up? You know, stop fighting and arguing. I, I speak in tongues more than you. But in the church, in the gathering, I would rather speak five intelligent words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue, in a foreign language. I, I would rather speak five words of God's truth than 10,000 that a bunch of people don't understand. Next verse, he said this, if. If believers or people who don't understand these things, don't understand Jesus, don't understand the gospel, come into your church meeting and come into your gathering and hear everyone speak in an unknown language, they would think you're all crazy. Right? Wouldn't you? Like, what is this cult? What this is, I'm out. This is too freaky for me. So Paul says this, but if all of you are prophesying. Got to understand there's two parts of that. There's future telling and truth telling. He's talking about truth of God's word. 
If, 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 if all of you are, you know, coming and you're gathering and truth is being taught and unbelievers are people who don't understand these things about Jesus or the gospel, they come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. This is what will happen. And, and, and they, as they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God saying, Man, God is truly here among you. Meaning when, when the truth of God's word is taught and an unbeliever hears them, there's times where they are convicted of their sin. That's not from the speaker, that's from God. And they turn to him and they're like, man, I met God today. So Paul understood, guys, this is not your own club. And you're fighting over gifts. You got to understand that when an unbeliever comes in, if this happens, they're going to think, you guys are all nuts. But if they hear truth, that's why I said I'd rather speak five and tell those words people understand. There's a chance that they can be convicted and God will get a hold of their heart and they meet God for the first time. So Paul, Paul got this. So here's the challenge. It's easy for us, if we're not careful as a church, we'll just drift into an inward focus. What about me? I like this. I don't like that. Please change that. I'm uncomfortable. I don't like change unless it's change that I, I instituted. And then we start being selfish. We, start, we don't think about the people that God has strategically placed us around. If you go on our, our church website, there's our story, you know, our history, our, here's our mission, here's our vision, here's our values. Here's one of the values, one of the core values of our church. One of them is all about uncensored truth, okay? We don't know how relevant that phrase was when we put that in there a number of years ago. <coughs> this is what it is. The challenging truths of God are taught in a direct but gracious way. That is our focus, that is our aim. We do not shy away from telling truth here. And it's not Barry's truth. <laughs> I didn't write it. But we're going to teach it, even if it's challenging, but we're going to do it in a gracious way. Why? Because there's multiple audiences at every gathering, the way it should be. So what happens in an inward-focused church, have you ever heard of the phrase, Preaching to the choir. Anybody heard that phrase? Preaching to the choir. Yeah, that, not that they're actually up there and they turn around and they teach there. It's, it's insider language. And when you're just preaching to the choir, and I grew up in a church like this, you, the preacher says things that they would never say in public or say it that way because they don't have to work. They're just, they're, they're preaching to the already convinced. So they say truth harshly and they use the Bible as a weapon, and they say things, and if an unbeliever comes in, they're like, I will never, ever attend there again. Maybe I'll never go to any church again <coughs> because there's truth, but without grace, without grace. So with an outward focus, you got to be understanding, and I think all, every single week that there's multiple people. There's followers, and there's seekers, there's skeptics, and there's have-tos. So have that in mind. So if you were with us this summer, we, t we went through the, first, the book of 1 Thessalonians about preparing for the return of Christ. And I wanted to challenge believers to prepare. Make sure that you're acting in such a way and you're prepared. You're not freaking. You're not mourning for those who do not have hope because Jesus is coming back. 
But all through that series, I'm like, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to be prepared. You need to trust in Jesus. And here's why. Then this fall, we went through the book of Revelation. You know, escaping the coming apocalypse. And all through that series, 12 weeks of it, it's like, Christians, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I want you to understand this. I want you to know this. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't want to go through this. Multiple audiences. Multiple audiences. After this series, we're going to have a series called Stupid Should Hurt. Going through some of the Proverbs. How many times is the word fool in the book of Proverbs? It's because I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyways, and now we're paying for it. Yeah, because you're stupid, and stupid should hurt. And that's why the word of God is there. I want to protect you. That will apply to anyone. After that, though, is the series called Untouchables, topics the church doesn't want to talk about. And last March, God was, as I was studying and praying and studying and praying and planning, God was like, hey, I think we need to talk about these subjects. <laughs> It's not going to be fun. It's untouchable. We're going to talk about four issues, but say, what does the Bible say? Not what the news says, not what social media says. What does the Bible say about abortion? Which is incredibly relevant now. If you're watching the news with the Supreme Court. And if there's any change, watch out. But what does the Bible say? homosexuality. More and more, we are having relationships with people in that lifestyle. So how, how, what does the Bible say so that you can respond with grace? Transgender. What does the Bible say? How do we respond with grace? And I didn't understand this one. God said, how about, you need to teach on, um, Critical race theory. I'm like, what is this? Write it down, type it in. And then in September, it was like the phrase in our country for months. I don't care what your political beliefs are. What does the Bible say? So pray for me because I want to teach truth so Christians know what the Bible says, so I know how to respond with grace. But also there are people that they're not believers in the room or watching I need to, I need your prayers so that, okay, I want you to understand why we come to these conclusions because it's what the Bible teaches, what God thinks. So my teaching approach is this, is that there's multiple audiences I want to teach. Number one, number one is biblically. Number two, be clear. You can't understand it. You can't apply it. Did you notice what I did when I said redeemed? I explained it. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you're like, I know what that means. But I always explain it. So that I'm like, this redeemed means bought with a price. Jesus paid the ransom. He, paid, he was the price. You just ask any one of the pastors, what does Barry think about Christianese? And they're like, oh, he hates it. He hates it. Anybody remember Paul Hill? I was on my good friend all the time. Paul, stop it. It was like, uh, okay, we're spending a little time and have some fellowship. I'm like, Paul, who uses the word fellowship in normal life? Unless you're in a law firm in England. You know, I say, I said, instead, say, greet those around you. 
I said, it's too short to have fellowship anyways. Just greet, say hello. And the other pastor, I'm like, stop saying, Caleb, would you join me as we come to the, come to the throne of grace? And I'm like, Ty, I know what you mean. But just stop saying that. Just say, let's pray. Because all audiences kind of get what that's about. Christian needs, drive me crazy. I'm going to get on a rant here. Be biblical, be, be clear, but be gracious. This, there's some hard things, but you can be gracious. Jesus was full of truth and full of grace. We want to have, be a church of both. Why? Because in every service, there's not just one audience. There's multiple audiences. In November, the front office gave us pastors a printout of people in our services, in our gatherings, who came across the truth of God's word and said, I, I just gave my heart to Christ. 25 people. And that's just through like, like fall, uh, summer and fall. Probably through the Revelation series, people are like, I need Jesus. I don't want to go there. And so that allows us to then follow up with them. That's called discipleship. Here's how to follow Jesus. Here's where to start. Don't start in Genesis. Start in John. We gave them some resources. All right. Over, over this past year, you know, 50, 60 teenagers accepted Jesus because our youth group is not an inward-focused youth group. It's like I want believers to grow in their walk with God, but we want people who don't know Jesus to come to youth group so that they can experience the, uh, the grace of God. So what do we do? Why is this one of the, one of the, for me, it's the heart of this whole Horizon initiative. It's being an outward-focused church. So what do we do? Grace Point, let's invite people to church to meet Jesus, kind of like Andrew, and then leaving the rest to Jesus. That doesn't mean you never share your faith. That doesn't mean you don't understand how to tell somebody about the gospel. We have another fusion class coming in the spring so you can know what to say. But God has placed people in your office, people on your boat, people in your workshop, people in your neighborhood, people in your lives that we need to be Andrew. Hey, let me, let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me bring you to Jesus. One of the best places to start that for people to meet Jesus is to come to a church service. So, you should have, every one of you should have got one of these little uh, Horizon prayer invite cards when you came into the room. There's a new display on the wall. I told Terry it's going to be here for a couple years, so we made it really nice. This is our opportunity to say, okay, God, I'm going to take the, what does it say, initiative. All right, the next slide, please. Initiative is doing what needs to be done. This is what God wants me to do, but without delay. I, God, who do you want me to pray for? Who did you put on my life that you know what's going on in their life and I need to pray for them and then I need to invite them? And God gives you the name, then you write their first name, then you write your name and you date it and you go on the wall and place it there. Like, I am going to pray for this person and then invite them to meet Jesus and then let God do what only God can do. I hope you take this seriously. I already got two uh, up there. I'm going to have more coming. And so that's why there's extra copies of these on the table there. Take the initiative. God has placed people in your lives. What are you going to do with it? Pray and invite them. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for Andrew. Thank you for 
His claim to fame is always bringing people to Jesus and letting you do what only you could do. Lord, help us to be a church that doesn't gravitate to just being about us. I pray that we will grow and go closer in our walk with God, but may we have eyes to see, may we look up, out, and beyond ourselves that you've placed us in a county that is filled with unchurched people that need Jesus. Use us to bring them to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a guest today, I, I encourage you to pick one of these up. Me get a, give you a chance to understand who we are as a church. Um, um, but if you're here in, 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 the, in the service today, you can go to guest services and they have a gift for you. May God bless you. May God put people on your heart to begin praying for and then invite. Hope to see you next week. Have a great afternoon.